0: Well, good morning. You have definitely had, um, you have definitely had in your life a morning like I am having now where that, that throbbing pain in your head, um, and the congestion in your mm -hmm, sinuses and the, uh, yes, I'll call it crud that seems to accumulate in the cough zone, I will call it. So, you know, prayers appreciated this morning. Um, I would, uh, I would very much like to feel better. I also recognize that I'm, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed to have had um, a warm house to sleep in, and my power was on, and um, you know I could get up this morning and make a cup of tea. So I'm counting my blessings, and I am pleading with the Lord to heal my body. So, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. I've been reflecting. Uh, well, as I've been pulling out. Um, The remaining decorations at my house, I don't know, for whatever reason, they didn't all actually, like, get out the weekend after Thanksgiving, which was the goal. And so um, the nativity has, like, finally just made it out of the box, which I know is a little embarrassing, but there you go. And it got me thinking about the things we include in the traditional nativity and the things we leave out or the people we include in the traditional nativity and the people we leave out. So, you know, there's Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. Maybe you don't put the baby in the manger um, in your creche or in your nativity until the night of Christmas Eve. There's the donkey, the faithful steed, the donkey that Mary rode from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I'm sure you have one of those in your creche and your nativity. If you're thinking to yourself right now, hey, I could shoot Carmen a picture of my nativity or my creche. Yes, you can. 877 933 I'm sure you have shepherds and sheep, but you should think about that. Like, why do we include the sheep? It's really clear that the shepherds left the sheep in the field and ran to town. But, you know, there you go. We've got shepherds and we've got sheep. We've got angels. We've got the natal star. Now, most of our um, nativity or creche scenes only have one angel. And in reality, we ought to have I mean, like our whole house should be filled with angels surrounding um, surrounding the scene. But there are some things we don't include. We don't include Roman soldiers. We don't include Zechariah or Elizabeth or baby John. And you may say to yourself, well, well, there's no biblical evidence that any of those people were actually on the scene. Well, okay. Um, We don't include Simeon and Anna. We don't include... Um, the rabbi or the Pharisee who would have performed the related duties in the temple when Jesus was eight days old. And again, you're going to say, well, that's because they weren't there on that night. Okay, well, neither were the wise men, and we include them. And speaking of the Magi, we normally only include three of them because three gifts are named. But these guys would not have arrived for many months, and they would have likely numbered At least in the hundreds, maybe as many as a thousand. So your nativity, your crash is going to take way more than the top of your piano or, you know, the middle of your dining room table. It occurs to me we also do not include the flight to Egypt, nor the slaughter of the innocent boys in Bethlehem after the Holy Family flees. And I think this is important to note, we stage the whole thing in a stable. Why do we do that? Well, we do it because of tradition. Um, we misread the word kataluma, um as if there were no room for them in the inn. It's really that there was no room for them in the guest room of the house, and therefore they were sheltered for the night um, near the manger in the first room of the house. The manger would be the feed trough that would lead down into the portion of that first century house in Bethlehem where... Um, where the animals would have been gathered in, and their heat, the, their body heat warms the house, and they're protected um, from any predators. And they are fed then through this manger that is connected both to the, the family room, the first room of the house, and the room where the, uh, where the animals would be kept overnight. So we read our own cultural experience of not being able to get a room, like a no vacancy sign, into a day and a time when there would have been no such thing in the little town of Bethlehem. So think about your, uh, your crush, your nativity, and think about the characters in it as we read today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. Where in the word are you today? I am in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 48. This is Mary speaking. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary's Magnificat goes on. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, Mary says. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as He promised our ancestors. This portion of Scripture and it includes this note that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then she returned home to Nazareth. So if, um, <clears throat> if you grew up in a non-Catholic or non-Orthodox uh, Christian family or home or church, chances are you, you actually don't know a lot about Mary. But she is indeed blessed among women, and indeed, blessed is the fruit of her womb listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, our friend Nick Pitts is going to join us next. We're going to talk about an announcement that was made yesterday by the Vatican um, that is, it's just nothing short of uh, of world changing. And you're going to say to yourself, that that sounds like it's possibly an exaggeration. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, something Something shook loose yesterday, and we need to take note of it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Nick Pitts is joining us. I had teed up a conversation to talk with him about Christmas traditions, old and new, but the action uh taken or announced yesterday by the Vatican um is just something that we have to talk about. So good morning, Nick.
2: Good morning, Carmen. How are you this morning?
0: Well, I'm I, I'm a little cruddy. I have a head cold. Um and uh so yeah, so there you go. But I have a really good radio voice because of that.
2: Uh, hey, I like it. I like it. Perspective. Uh-huh, it's go. all perspective.
0: It's it is all perspective, absolutely. Okay, so the Pope um, has created confusion. I think that I am confident in saying that. He has said that Roman Catholic priests may bless same-sex couples, but that blessing may not look like, sound like, or in any way approximate the rite of uh, sacramental marriage. Can you help us understand why? Um, why this is a significant shift and, and why it matters.
2: Yeah. Let's, let's, let's look at it. For, I want to go three levels on this. First, I, I want to look at it from just the sociological, just pure leadership level. Second, let's look at the Catholic Catholicism. Let's look at the catechism level. And then third, let's just look from a theological standpoint and we'll root ourselves in uh, Psalm one. This understanding of the blessed person, right? From a just from a pure leading standpoint, a leader at the very core I, is someone who brings order, not disorder. Is someone that mm-hmm. brings clarity and not confusion. And if anything, what what happened yesterday, we can all agree sows confusion in an already confusing world around an extremely confusing topic, Barney. We can all agree that this is not leading in the very in the slightest. Rather, it is just bringing more confusion and raising more questions, in which there is a desperate need for answers in this world, especially from a theological perspective. The second piece and, is the well, question. Nick, let me of,
0: let me just pause there yeah. for a second. I, I think you're absolutely right, and you and I both know people who identify as Christians and. Identify as same-sex attracted and/or are in actively engaged in um, relationships that go beyond the bounds of what the Bible defines as God's best for human beings, yep. and so Confirm. we're 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 not we're not saying that we fail to understand that this is a concern of people in the culture, but to to adopt the pattern of the culture. In the church to invite the spirit of the world into the church, as if God's design could be set aside. Like that's and that's where you're headed now, right? I mean that 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 is the problem here.
2: Yeah, this is quite literally. Uh, it, it's there is tones and it sounds a lot like Judges 17, where you have Micah that goes about hiring Levitical priests, not to he, not to say what the Lord has said, but to say what he wants to hear. And uh, you just you can see rhythms of it if you read Judges seventeen of the story of Micah and Levitical priests. But let's let's go from a definitional standpoint now. Now let's look at the uh, Catholicism. Let's look at the Catholic level. At the very core, let's ask ourselves: What is a blessing? Okay. So according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number sixteen seventy, blessings are sacramentals because they prepare us to receive the grace of the sacraments and help us to grow in grace. Here, 2 Peter 3, and also be closer imitators of Christ Jesus here, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Right? They can cons- it's consists of prayer, a scripture, and sometimes a ritual sign. Blessings help our, our prepare us for the sacrament to receive grace. Now that we've got the Catholicism level, let's look at it from a theological level. To be blessed. What is it to be blessed? You can't help but go back to Psalm 1. So many of us cherish this psalm. It's the Psalm 1 where it's better to be a tree planted by streams of living water whose leaf does not wither than chaff which blows to and fro that is tossed about that has no sustenance and whose leaf is quite literally withered and without root. Right. And and the key part of being that tree that the psalmist talks about in Psalm one is the word of the Lord is his delight. Right. And so here's what makes it so confounding to me. And And I'm open. I'm open to question. I just I don't understand how the pope wants to bless something that is so clearly disregarding the scriptures when. In the scriptures, blessed is the person who delights in the law, not disregards the law of the Lord. That's what's that's what adds so much confusion to this right now. And I hope I'm I hope I'm making sense. And I'm not just all of my it just it's so clear that the biblical narrative, God has his commands aren't burdensome to us, but are meant to be a life for us to help us lead the fullness of life and the completion of our joy as we follow and obey his commands. It, it's very clear what the Bible says about same-sex behavior, but yet for the Pope to want to bless something that very clearly is you're just disregarding the rules and the laws of the Lord, whereas in the scriptures, blessed is the man whose delight is all. It just adds confusion to a, such a sensitive and a hard topic for so many people and so many families, especially during the Christmas time.
0: Yeah, I think it has it has made it more difficult for us to have honest conversations with our kids about purity, about God's good design for sexuality, about um about the virtue of um sexual purity. I, it 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 makes it more difficult and and if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, well, yes, but we're not Catholic. So here's the here's the challenge. The the world is. Like we are talking <laughs> about um, the dominant expression of Christianity around the globe, and we are talking about the person um, who sits atop that, literally as the judge. Even though he, this particular pope, said early in his his career in relationship to um, a homosexual priests, you know, who am I to judge? Okay, he is literally the person in a position to judge, and he is he's he is literally the person who is supposed to be um, dividing truth from error for For Roman Catholics um, and so here are some thoughts just in terms of um, taking this seriously but not freaking out. Um, I think we need to be very sober um, and we need to we need to be aligning ourselves with people who are teaching the Word of God so if you're not in a church that is that, that is shepherded by a good shepherd who is teaching the Word of God, um, now would be the time um, to find one. And part of, I think, what we as Christians need to do is, is pray. We, we need to be praying for um, the restoration of the truth. We need to be praying for the bride. The church, universal, is the bride of Christ. It's not as if Christ has many brides. He has a bride, the church, and she is going to be presented to him um, undefiled. And that means that there are going to be people who imagine that they are in the church who are not. If, if they are in an expression of the church that is so openly um, living in a way that's contrary um, to God's revealed uh, character and will. So this is this is a very challenging subject matter. And again, I want to reiterate, I recognize that this is a struggle. I recognize that this is um, something that the world is telling everyone is, it, it's not it's not only okay, it's to be celebrated. And I know that the world is telling everyone. Um, Telling you if you are standing on the word of God and you are saying, this is what God has said. This is how God designed human relationships. This is how God articulates, um, the male female relationship and, and how that is somehow mysteriously represented in, in marriage as the ultimate relationship that Christ is going to have with the church. Like, I don't pretend to understand all of that, but that's what the Bible says. And, um, and we, we, we cannot depart from it. We simply cannot yeah. depart from it. We're yeah, going to continue I'm... our conversation. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, let's take a quick break, um, and then we, co- we come back. Um, we might pivot subjects here unless somebody, you know, blows us up on the text line, which, of course, is open, 877-933-2484. You can certainly um, text us there. We're going to continue our conversation with Nick Pitts here in just a moment. Uh, my next question is going to be, is it really a wonderful life? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That movie you've been watching. Mm hmm. I feel confident you've been watching it. Is it really a wonderful life? Mm hmm. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post, how badly someone else sings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you Always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word hope to 877 933 2484. our friend Nick Pitts is here, and um, apparently watching It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas tradition in his family. So go ahead and text me about that, (laughs)
3: 877-933-2484.
0: Yeah, I teed up this question. I I teed up this question because I saw it, like, asked uh, in social media, like, is it really a wonderful life? And people were chiming in about um, the... The blessing of of giving in times of hardship, of seeking out people who needed, um, you know, somebody to come and find them in their hour of need, like all these searching things. And I'm thinking, this is like one of my least favorite movies of all time. So I'll ask Nick because he's so positive and then come to find out you haven't watched it. Like You literally have never watched it. Skips I, a generation. You know,
2: I, I have to I have to add some clarity here. It's been on in the background, but my family, i you know, we all have our traditions. My family typically tends to uh, uh, gravitate more towards the Christmas vacation for Christmases movie in the background than It's a Wonderful Life. But that's just, and I know, I know that I have greatly offended the vast majority, not only of your listeners, but also of the American public. And so my apologies. But you know what? To each their own. Let's let's celebrate the fact that you've got a cousin. We all have that cousin Eddie, and misery loves company that we're going to have to put up with this holiday season.
0: Um, Paul Perot is with us, and he loves "It's a Wonderful Life." Would you, Paul, like to point out a couple of things that you love about the movie?
3: Okay, I understand its viewpoint when it comes to angelology is severely flawed when you compare it to scripture. There's that aspect, but the hearts of sacrifice on the part of of george bailey and struggling with that i mean he gave up so much of his dreams for the good of others and okay he came to a critical point in the movie i don't nick i feel like i'm spoiling it for you here are you gonna spoil i I better stop there but it's it again it's it's that viewpoint of okay Here's a person who's been living for others, making sure others have a comfortable home to live in and trying to build into the community and help a community thrive. He gave up a lot of his dreams for that and that is a powerful message. So
2: well, <laughs> I feel I feel as though spoiler alerts you don't I, I, have to have a spoiler alert on a movie that's plus 50 years old. I feel yeah. like that's that's a fair Well, you've never watched it. That's why 100%. I, Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, Nick. What are some of your family Christmas traditions, new and old, um, I, old and new?
2: I, I, Carmen, we have to talk about though. I what I'm shocked about that we're not talking about is Whamageddon. Are you familiar with this? No. What is Wamageddon? Okay. So Whamageddon is it, it's a, a DJ has caused a sir that's like stretched from Britain over to the U.S. It's a game that individuals are playing. Everybody knows Wham, the, the 80s pe- band that then <laughs> penned a, that Christmas song last Christmas Wham. Is, it's oh. one of those top five Christmas songs that's played uh, uh, throughout the season. It's similar to Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. Well, Whamageddon is a, is a game that individuals are playing that they cannot hear or they have five seconds. It's like as soon as you hear Wham last Christmas, you have to dart from the room. The, the game is how long can you go without hearing last Christmas by Wham? Isn't that, isn't that fascinating?
0: Yes, apparently whamageddon.com. I have checked it out. All you have to start <laughs> doing is you just have to start typing in wham, w h a m and this is what comes up, whamageddon 2023. <laughs> the rules are laid out for you and apparently everyone is welcome to participate. So there you go. I've yeah, already exactly. heard it. Like I didn't know. So uh, I know. Uh, well, okay. Well <clears throat> yeah. then
2: because of because of the lack of information, I feel like you can start today fresh.
0: Mm, playing okay. Whamageddon. I'm in. I'm in. It sounds like a joyful you, new holiday now, tradition.
2: You've got, that's a, that's a pretty significant holiday tradition to try to run away from Wham. But you know what? Wake me up. Um, if this isn't something that you wouldn't want to participate in.
0: <laughs> so fun. It's so fun. All right. So, um, I would be remiss if I didn't, um, ask after, uh, the folks of Clarksville, Tennessee, um, uh, I know there was a tornado through there, and I know that many people in the town are struggling, and so just um, checking in with you in terms of your family and friends.
2: Yeah, and thank you so much that you had a couple of listeners that sent me little notes. Yeah, so Clarksville got hit by tornadoes this past week. And interestingly enough, I was actually in Clarksville for a family wedding, and uh, just so tragic upwards of about a thousand people whose homes were damaged in the tornado. Three people lost their lives, including the little girl, um, during the holidays. It can just be such a tough time, but you know, there is, there is nothing, uh, that is more beautiful than seeing a community respond, um, mm-hmm. to such tragedy and Clarksville's uh, neighbor is Fort Campbell. Um, military base with 20 plus thousand soldiers and what you saw in the immediate aftermath of this storm that hit this past not this saturday but last saturday is you had combat medics that were trained Mm. to go out into the field would go into their neighborhoods and were tending to the wounded you had individuals that were going to great lengths to people from across state lines from all over the tennessee middle tennessee area that were there by that night to help respond whether it was clean up or whether it was bringing over a casserole it really was an absolute be- absolutely beautiful sight to see people knowing that they can't change the fact that the tragedy happened but they can change the trajectory of the recovery and it was just it it, it made me so proud to be a Clarksvilleian, and um and just and just immensely grateful um, for the community that I'm from.
0: Um, Nick, that is your, it's a wonderful life story for this year.
2: There we go. There we go. There we'll you go. we'll, we'll circ- all circle uh, it back.
0: Absolutely. Hey, thank you, brother. Um, and Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas to y'all.
0: Yeah. So I know that you've been um, paying attention uh, to what's going on in Israel. How do I know that? Because we've actually, I mean, not we, not me, we, but like we, the collective we, uh, <clears throat> it LifeWay. Research and our friends at the Philos Project have actually surveyed Christians in the United States of America, and nine out of ten nine out of ten Christians in the u s have been keeping up with the current war between Hamas and Israel, um, according to this most recent study and so we want to talk with Luke Moon about that We want to talk about um, what is happening in terms of um, current status of things on the ground. We also want to talk with him about just how complicated a situation it is as Christians in the U.S. imagine, imagine that there could be some kind of peace um, structured between the nation of Israel and the Palestinian people. Um, And so that is something that we imagine could happen. And I think we imagine it because we know Jesus. And so um, we're going to bring Jesus into this conversation about why we as Christians imagine uh, the possibility of peace and why those who are in the midst of it probably don't see see the same possibility. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Luke Moon is joining us now from the Philo's project, the Philo's project uh, Exist to promote positive Christian engagement in the Near East. They work with leaders. They build community. They take action in the spirit of um, of the Hebrew tradition. And so we love to talk with Luke about what is happening, uh, particularly in Israel. And so Luke, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: You guys at the Philos Project engaged with Lifeway uh, research. And you asked Christians in America, you know, like, hey, are you actually paying attention <laughs> to what's going on um, and what do you think about it? So can you um, can you read us in um, on what you guys have learned?
1: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to find out was where Christians were at with, you know, the, you know, wanting ceasefire with the war. Were they following it? How were they getting their news? What All that sort of stuff. How and, many of them are know, listening
0: to Mornings with Carmen? I mean,
1: I mean, right? Exactly. We I mean that exactly. was totally one of the questions <laughs> and it was a lot that was you know scientifically um but it, yeah it was it was you know I think it was very close to what you would find if we polled the average American I think. You know, I think there was you know I was surprised a couple of points surprised me. Um we asked about, you know, the conf- the, the ceasefire. you know, what do you what do you expect on the ceasefire front? You know, and about thirty percent, twenty nine percent were supportive of just, you know, negotiate with Hamas and make a peace fire, a ceasefire. Um, but seventy percent were more, you know, they recognize that Hamas is a is a real bad player. So let's not let's not it's it's not important for Israel to do that. But it's But one of the interesting data points on that question specifically was there was a 14% difference between how men and women answered that question. Hmm. Uh, Women were were much more uh, uh, open, wanted to see the ceasefire happen than men. And by, a like I said, a 14% difference, which is pretty significant, I think. Um, Yeah, I think so, too. and, And I think it's, you know, men and women see war differently and violence I, you know, I had this conversation with lots of women since this came out and you know they they i think the the images of civilians and you know people suffering uh i think is you know, women are re- more responsive to that that's, that's my this my interpretation or at least the interpretation i've been given by women so um uh it's interesting the other yeah go ahead yeah I was just going to say ahead. the other factor that was that I was we, we noticed was that the real major impact on how you view this stuff is how often you go to church. Um, church attendance leads to more support for Israel, um, and I yeah I think the reason for that is pretty obvious. You know, you read your Bible, Israel is all over the place in it. And I think it just kind of creates this understanding that, oh, you know, they were there before, they're there now, you know, it's, uh you know, the Philistines, you know, it's like, there's enough, there's, there's kind of knowledge to hang your hat on. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think that, that really does significantly matter. Um, you know, as we're seeing on, on really all the polling coming out these days on this conflict is that the. You know, there is a real issue with the young people. If I, you know, it's the we don't get into, you know, whether or not they support Hamas or whatever, but there still is a uh, only half of them, eighteen to to twenty nine year olds are are showing support for Israel. Mind you, that's it's half, which is and it's it's Christians. So it's more than what we're almost more than what we're seeing in the in the average population, but it is it is significant. So those are some takeaways for us.
0: I do think there there is a significant generational um divide just in terms of the conversations that I have with people. Um yeah. there's so much more background. I have to be so much more patient. I have to tell so much more history. I have to um I have to be committed to remaining non-defensive in my conversations with younger adults. When I'm having these conversations um because they are obviously getting information from sources that are not um honest about the history um uh in some cases and they have a they have been equipped and empowered with a lot of visual um graphic devastatingly horrible <clears throat> images yeah and yeah and that you know that heavily in influences how you feel about something, and so then it turns into a feelings conversation, and not a not a conversation about maybe historical reality and geopolitical reality. And Luke, I think that's actually the hard part. Like, right? How do, yeah. um, you know, how do we as average, just average people, um, everybody is paying attention to what is happening, and everybody has a view of it, um. Yeah. And there are some people who actually think it's, you know, like America's responsibility to press in and resolve it. Um, I've read the book, right. and that is just not, it's just not our place to right, right. to imagine that we're going to resolve um, this kind of historic conflict between two people groups that has existed since Old Testament times.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it is a real, that's, you know, that is the real challenge. And it's the challenge, I think, that... You know not only people like us is trying to figure it out but even within the jewish community etc beyond us is there is a real awareness that um the information that is coming out is is in the way it's coming out and the way people are consuming it i mean i'm here at or i'm leaving uh phoenix and i was here for the turning point uh usa oh. thing called amfest which is You know, it's like 70% Gen Z, which is shocking to me. And there's like 13,000 people. So it's more, and, and most of the people that came by, I was, I was hanging out with some guys at a booth that was, you know, that was like, had a bunch of Israel stuff on it. And we had some people, some, some young guys come by and they picked a fight with us by bringing up some obscure, like the sinking of the USS Liberty in 1967. And I'm like, and, and I was like, what the heck? Like, where did you get that? Like, that's your, you know, that was their driving point was that, you know, the, the U S or Israel actually sunk this ship, a bunch of people died. And if, if that happened, to, you know, if we, if any other group had done that to us, we would have like, you know, bombed them to oblivion. That was their argument, but would not put the Jews And I'm like, really? Like where does that come from? And they wouldn't answer me on that point. I was trying to get like, you know, what TikTok guy are you listening to that's feeding Mm -hmm. you that just, I mean, and you got to go back 50 years to pick your, you know, to find your point of conflict with Israel, really. It's like a bit much, but it just shows like there is, you know, there is people get in their bubbles, people are getting, and then there's a, you know, increasingly small circle of people that you listen to. They all seem to listen, think like you um you know the, the, the dating apps uh make sure that you only you only date people who think like you and it it just creates this kind of very um very tight circle of of information and people you trust to give you that information
0: the so l- is, most oh go
1: ahead yeah i was just going to say the problem is is that this it's, it's there's a lot of complex information. There's some simple yeah. information, but there's also some complex stuff. And if you don't have any outside sources other than your own circle, you're, you're just going to not see it. It's it's yeah. a very weird moment we're in on that.
0: So there's a lot of people whose entire, they're, they're, the, the sum total of the information that they have about the Red Sea is that Moses led the people uh, across it on dry land. Um, In the Exodus, like that for some people, that is the sum total of information they have. Um, And so when you pull up a map of the region, the Red Sea actually goes all the way from Yemen up to Egypt and Israel. And so we only think about that tiny little narrow part way up there um, between Israel and Egypt um. Or, yeah, I mean, I, right? That's that's where we think of the Red Sea. We don't yeah. think of the whole Red Sea that's between Sudan and Saudi Arabia um, <laughs> right. or, you know, that goes down there to Yemen. Um, and right. so when we hear or when we read about the United States and the U.K. warships shooting down 15 terrorist attack, attack drones in the Red Sea, we are talking about a different front um, on this same war. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah no it's and it's it's a very strange i mean it, again we, one of the things that we always got to keep in mind is that there's a backdrop of of a uh, islamic civil war between the sunni and shia between the like the iranian backed groups and the saudi backed groups and yemen is one of those places where uh it's it's a it's a key strategic strait uh kind of situation a narrow point in which you know, ships have to pass through, uh, and there is a terrorist organization in charge of a country that is uh, shooting at, at, at U.S. and and uh, U.K. warships, shooting at tankers, um, trying to uh, take and capture uh, ships that are coming through, um, and it's it's getting worse. Uh, but day by day, it's getting worse. And at some point, uh, the U.S. is going to have to respond pretty aggressively. Uh, and they haven't done it yet. But, but there's, there's, a, there's a limitation to the tolerance of the Biden administration on this. And the, the Department of Defense is itching for a confrontation because they're tired of sh- shooting down attack drones. You know, they want to take out the place where they're coming from. But as of yet, the U.S. administration has has not given permission for for the Department of Defense to do
0: that. And if you're wondering right now, why are we talking about this? Well, the the Houthi movement, um, known as the Supporters of God, it, it is one of the one of the sides in the Yemeni civil war. It's been going on for about a decade by now, um, and we are talking about a religious revival movement. Um, we are talking about. A a an expressly religious war. Um and there's no great there's no greater motivator um in terms of uh, in terms of warfare than uh, the belief that god is on your side or you are on god's side and the the person on the other side is anti to your god. Um and so that that's why we're talking about this because um conflicts like this do not stay contained um in in places around the world anymore. Um, they, they move, they migrate. These ideologies exist everywhere. Um, and so that's why, if you're wondering, why are we talking about this? Well, that's why we're talking about it. Um, because I don't want you to live unaware. And you may say to yourself, and I kind of want to live unaware. I kind of want to just pay attention to Christmas. We don't have the privilege. Um, we just don't have that privilege, uh, of only paying attention to the things that make us happy, um, or fill our cup. Um, Because as Christians, we have been granted the privilege of prayer. We've been granted the privilege of knowledge and understanding. We've been granted the privilege of serving as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. Um, And so we have a responsibility. And so, you know, even though I too might like to just focus on the fact that Oreo is coming out with a um, gluten-free cookie, Not just the gluten-free Oreo cookie, traditional Oreo cookie, but now a gluten-free golden Oreo cookie. I mean, I might really have wanted that to be the subject matter for today, but, you know, sadly, it's not. We have to talk about other things. Luke Moon's going to be with (laughs) us uh, here through the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Tomorrow at noon Eastern, you are invited to uh, a conversation with the dep- Deputy Director of the Philos Project, Luke Moon, um, and their Director, Robert Nicholson, um, who's the president and founder of the Philos Project. They're actually going to do a webinar on this um, this survey that they they partnered with Lifeway Research on. So, if you want the direct link to register for that webinar, um, just shoot me an email, and I will sh- uh, not an email. <clears throat> hit me up on the text line 877-933-2484 and I will send you the link where you can register for that webinar tomorrow at noon eastern um Luke let's uh let's let's just ask you to give us a sense of um how Jews are feeling both here in the United States and in Israel um this is I think every once in a while having a feelings conversation is is helpful
1: yeah I mean the sense out of israel is people are still very very unified very um upset about what happened you know on october 7th um that hasn't changed uh you know one of the things that has is has been a direct result is that you know the, the the conversation about the one state or the two state uh, as far as most Israelis are concerned, there is no conversation to be had for the two state. Like it's you know the the problem was is that they let there were there were people coming from Gaza to you know be housekeepers and landscapers and et cetera to who were working in the kibbutz and that got attacked and they they told you know the Hamas fighters. You know, here's where the security guy lives and here's how the houses are laid out. And so there's this, I mean, that just undermines any kind of trust that you have in, can we live, can we live with these people, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. That is the, and the answer, the answer right now is no. Um, And there's a lot of pressure coming from the U.S. and other countries to, you know, once this is over, let's go back to trying to get to two state. And the people are like, no, we're not going to, like. That it's don't don't expect that of us, please, um, and 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 that's real. And in the U.S., I mean, I, like there is, there's. I mean, I've talked to so many people who are suddenly, um, you know, called awake. Uh, I we had a guy come by our office last week, uh, and and uh, he he gave he gave us an 18000 $18, dollars donation to the Philos Project, and said. Uh, this is a down payment because christians are the only ones have, who have stood by us mm. Um, mm. and the guy was not he, you know he i mean he wasn't i don't know how religious he was but he wasn't he didn't have a keep on he was just mm. like a you know a, a you know a, a guy who is who is, was and, and he described how up until october 7th we were we were asleep we were complacent we we thought everything was going to be fine and And it's it's really rocked the world and and you know, I don't quite know how I don't think it's gonna last like this forever, but it it really really, really changed um, the perception of a lot of Jews on not just on uh, on the what's going on in the Middle East, but the people they thought that they trusted, the people they thought they were close to. The people they thought were they were allied with mm-hmm. on social issues they didn't they they turned on them and mm-hmm. so as a result they're like well who can we who trust are, we can't trust yeah, who anybody are who are our yeah. friends yeah, yeah. and yeah. and it's it's really hard for a lot of them to accept that christians are their friends because you know we we did try and kill them for most of the last 2000 years so it does, that doesn't help us much but they have realized that well, I have, this, is, this is different.
0: I have a Jewish couple that are that are friends of mine, and uh, and and so you know every time I text her, you know, words of encouragement, she passes it along to him, and he texts back, and he's like, "Just as long as you're not trying to convert me." I'm like, "Dude, that's not my job. I'm not, not, not here for that." So, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. That's an interesting conversation as well for those of us that are evangelical Christians, like we. <laughs> We love Jesus, and Jesus is Jewish, yep. and so, you know, there's that whole conversation as well, which obviously you know full well. Luke, as always, thank you so much. Travel safe um, today. We appreciate thank your time you. with us. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. A pleasure. Right. Ephesians 2.14. That's the passage of Scripture I just want us to have um, in front of us in this conversation. Ephesians 2.14. Jesus himself is our peace. He is the one who has made us both one. He is the one who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, thus making peace. When we come to Revelation chapter 7, we see this huge multitude of all kinds of people gathered together worshiping God. Um, There is no dividing line of hostility at that point in history anymore. Until that time, there are these dividing walls of hostility um, between us, and so it's in the context of that conversation that we, um, you know, that we have these conversations today. Um, I am happy to send you the link uh, to the webinar that Philos is hosting tomorrow. Um, just send me a text eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and I will send you that invitation. Um, and then earlier um, we were having a conversation about the announcement by the Roman Catholic Church um, about. Um, about blessing same-sex couples. And so this is an action that has been formalized. Um, it, it will be happening. You will see it. It's, it's already started happening. Um, there were priests who were waiting for this, and there are people who are in um, you know, partnered same-sex relationships or even in same-sex marriages, civil same-sex marriages, who now want the church's blessing. And so um, a question from a listener about, okay, how, how then do I talk with a liberal Catholic or a liberal Christian who thinks that this action by the Vatican is really grace-filled. It's really lovely. Um, And how do we make clear that, you know, they're, they're actually endorsing wrong thinking. So my, in my experience, um, these are very personal, highly personal conversations. It's an excellent question, first of all. So Carol, thank you so much for asking it. Number one is to pray. Like get in your own prayer closet and spend time with the Lord, so that your heart is right before you enter into that kind of conversation. Um, ask for ask the person you're talking with for clarification about what they believe and why they believe it. What is grace? Why do you think this is a grace filled action? What does that mean? Um, and then in the Roman Catholic Church, if blessing is to prepare people for the sacraments, then what does that mean? Um, what does what, what does it mean that the church would be blessing individuals in preparation for sacraments that they, are, they, they continue to be barred from by the church's own teaching. Seek to understand where they get their authority. I think there's an authority conversation to be had here. My authority is the word of God alone, um, and that's, where I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to lift up, and I don't have to be defensive about that. Um, the word of God goes forth, and it accomplishes that which, for which he purposes it, so that's where I stand.